0: Good morning, Northview. (laughs) How about you join us on our feet for some worship this morning? We have a little impromptu. We had to make a last-minute change because we planned for Esther to be playing with us. And now it's just us three and everyone else. So if we could have all your help, that would be awesome. (laughs) This next one is Strong God. start this one. this week. So I didn't pay attention to the melody. Okay, thank you so much. Here we go. (laughs) Down to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning that we get to praise you, Lord, and all be in the same building. Um, I thank you for your blessing and and uh, the peace and the healing that you've brought um, to our community, Lord, and I, I pray that um, we would welcome you this morning, that you would speak through Pastor Steve, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Christ through me. What an awesome last song and mantra to have. Thank you guys so much. Hey, good morning to those of you that are here. Good morning if you are at home uh, or if it's not even morning and you're tuning in this afternoon, you're still welcome. We still love you. Uh, Glad to see you, at least most of you. I can see, you know, nose up on everybody. That's good. Um, I don't know about you. I'm having to learn really how to smile with the eyes a lot more these days, right? That's our expression point but welcome we are so excited to have you here this morning
1: yes all right hello oh i can talk loud too (laughs) um Well, anyway, today is, um, as you'll notice on your seat, it's Communion Sunday, and these have been prepared individually, very carefully for you guys. Um, If you have kids joining you, oh, there we go. If you have kids with you parents, feel free to help out your kids um, if you would like them to partake in communion as well. Um, Yes, but uh, later during the service, Steve will walk us through uh, when to do that.
0: And if you need gluten-free, it is right back there behind the the sound booth or in front of the sound booth. And if you're at home and want to join us for communion, um, go ahead and jump away. Prepare the elements. We'd love to partake in that with you. Uh, also, we have some other things going on that we want to let you know about. Men, gentlemen, breakfast. This is excellence. We get together, we get to have a meal, and we just get to enjoy a fellowship. It's happening here uh, at the church August 15th at 8 a.m., If you go online to register, you pick your breakfast. It's going to be box breakfast brought in, so it's nice and and safe. We'll be in here, lots of room to spread out inside and outside. No speaker, just a chance to enjoy fellowship, to catch up. I know guys, we put on this front, but I think two, three, four, five months of being at home, we need one another, and this is an awesome time to be able to come together and enjoy that morning. So I want to encourage you, jump online and sign up for that.
1: Yes, speaking of online, if you have kids joining us here today or at home, um, every Sunday we have a kids' church that is online, um, which kids can participate with uh, during main service or at home anytime you like. And um, you just go to our website. There is a button on there that says Northview Kids, and it will take you right to the kids' page and all of the grades and their um, lessons are just on there as well.
0: Now, middle school and high school, I know you have to be – In here or at home, sitting with your family, listening to Pastor Steve, that's awesome. We also have something special for you. And that's Tuesday night uh, this summer we have been doing, normally we're at McCollum Park down the road for Alive in the Park. Quick change for this summer. We've been meeting right out here in the back parking lot and it's been awesome. If you have a middle school and high school student and you feel comfortable with them going, if you don't, if you say, hey, our kids are not going to a big group gathering, you have our blessing absolutely take care of your family Uh, we are masking up when we're out there we have food um, some of the times this week we're going to rock some otter pops but we provide hand sanitation everything that we can possibly do to keep your student as safe as possible Uh, and it's been a really great time this tuesday uh, micah murphy actually your husband is going to be sharing uh, which is cool we've been working through having a different leader share each week their favorite jesus moment so, what is it about Jesus that stands out to you? And then we have fun. Week one, we threw watermelons off the roof. That might come back. We've done campfires out there. So if you're comfortable, middle school and high school students, that is starting in fifth grade right now. We will have information on move up very soon, but fifth grade all the way up if you want to come and hang out with us on Tuesday, 6:30 to 8 in the back parking lot.
1: All right. And then last thing is um, like last week, we're not passing buckets for tide but of course we have. Um, giving online. You can mail in your check, and we also have offering boxes along the back that you can also drop in your offering as well, so I get the honor to pray for our offering this morning, so if you would, please bow your heads with me. Um, dear Lord, uh, thank you, God, for being a faithful, solid rock that we can lean on, and um, we acknowledge, Lord, that everything, including our our lives, Lord, belong to you, so we pray over um, giving back just a portion of that back to you, Lord, and um, God, we pray for your peace that surpasses all understanding to be at work among us this morning. In your name, amen.
2: All right. Good morning, everybody. And if you're here this morning or online, thanks for joining us. Uh, If you wondered what happened this morning, poor Esther got sick uh, about 15 minutes before the service started. So this is the start of their two-week vacation what a way to start right so thank you for the worship team man they did a great job danilo was supposed to be playing the cajon and he jumped to the guitar within five minutes so you know really appreciate it. I can't do that can you do that um, that's stupid good people like that should be shot so right so that that's really great and uh Thanks for them, and, and we're doing that. Also, I was all mixed up last week. If you remember, I announced about communion, and I was on the wrong Sunday. <laughs> and so, so we're actually having communion together today, and it'll be great. Um, we're in our series, Truth versus Lies in the Psalms, and this we've got a good one this morning. Uh, I discovered a history to a person I had not really known before. So here's the lie we're going to talk about and confront this morning, right? When bad things happen, is it proof that God's not there? Any of you ask that question? By the way, welcome back, Ben. Good to see you. I see you hiding behind that mask. Yeah. Good to see you. I, have you any... I walked in the bank, black mask, hat, and sunglasses. I felt like D.B. Cooper. Right? Anybody else had that weird experience, right? Like, and the kids are going, who's D.B. Cooper? Right? Okay, here we go. Anyways, when bad things happen... Is it proof that God's not there? Or another way to say it is, um, when bad things happen, is it proof that God is not with or for you? Okay, we're watching a lot of things go on in our country right now. I think those questions are, are pretty uh, relevant. And this would be true as the thinking goes, both for individual verses uh, or as well as a nation, right? So be thinking in that context this morning. Uh, so the question then is: Is that true? Uh, is it true that God's not h- there here when when bad things happen? And what about the day of trouble? All right, we're going to be in one of the Psalms today, and it calls the day of trouble. And I, I want to suggest that the very first thing you need to know about the day of trouble is that it's not a day. Right, it's a marker. Well, when we say the day of trouble, uh, it's usually a season that. Uh, Could be more aptly called a season of trouble but the reason we call it the day of trouble is because we remember that day when it all turned right just think through your life when a day of trouble came Uh, the accident happened when you received the cancer diagnosis when you received the divorce papers uh, when we got let go right the more real term is fired right from work when we broke our ankle uh, when the breakup happened, when COVID-19 started. Uh, the reason we call it the day is because we realize from that moment on, it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be normal again. Or if it is, it's going to be, you know, like way down the road, right? And we're, we're in for a season uh, of change on this. The day of trouble came to our family on Friday, June 12th this year. Uh, On that day, we got the phone call that nobody ever wants to get. Our niece, my brother Greg's youngest daughter, Mikel, was killed in a a train accident that day. And you know as well as I do that their day of trouble or their day of sorrow, if you want to call it that, will be a lot longer than a day, right, if you've been through something like that. The pain and the heartache for them is almost unbearable still, and it's uh, almost two months after And yes, they know and love the Lord Jesus and they serve him with all their heart. So uh, they're, they're good, solid Jesus followers. But that doesn't eliminate the pain. What does one do when one encounters the day of trouble? Well, both Psalm 77 and Psalm 79 speak to this issue eloquently. Psalm 77 is on a personal level Psalm 79 is on a national level. So if you have your Bibles or phones or app or whatever you got this morning, uh, turn there, turn to Psalm 77. And interestingly enough, they were both written by the same guy, Asaph, the psalmist who wrote Psalm 73 that we covered last week, right? So this is the same guy. And uh, most of us don't know anything more about him than that he's some dude who lived a long time ago and uh, his name is at the top of several of these Psalms. That's about what we know about him. And I found a fantastic article written by a man named Richard Thompson that gives great insight into who this man was and, and why we should pay attention to his story. Uh, Thompson sounds like he's been listening to our Psalm series. Uh, here's his introduction to the article uh, starts like this. See if this sounds familiar. Have you ever been dis- disillusioned with people? Have you ever had life just not work out the way you expected it to? Have you ever wondered why it seems the faithful suffer while the wicked prosper? Sounds like last week, right? When we talked about that. Have you ever questioned God when it seems like he wasn't keeping his promises? He says, this is Thompson, he says, "If If so, you will want to learn about one of the great men of faith in the Bible who faced all those tests and asked all those questions. His name, Thompson says, is asap most christians do not even recognize his name even those who do do not recognize his importance so we're going to look at this guy this morning and uh, i think it's going to be really uh, profitable for us so let's pray before we start all right father we lift up this morning we lift you up and lord we pray for esther and ask that you would help her uh, as she is sick lord uh, she is a responsibility person pray you let her know it's okay let her know we'll live. It'll be all right. And thank you for the team jumping in and filling this morning, Lord. Uh, that's Just awesome. So as we come this morning, Lord, we are looking at the stage that our country's in. And we're recognizing some of the things in the Psalms. And that some of the psalmists, and particularly Asaph here, uh, ex- experience some of the things that we think we might end up going through. And so this is a great uh, precursor, a great uh, tune, upper. Um, Lord, we seek you this morning that you'll connect the pieces. And we ask for this in your name. Amen. All right. So before we go into the actual Psalms of 77 and 79, let's look at the context, right? Because the context is always hugely important uh, in understanding any piece of literature. So let's delve into the history of the guy who wrote them. So the question this morning is, why should we care about who Asaph was? Or maybe even simpler than that, for that matter, who was Asaph? Well, first, Thompson says that he is noteworthy. And one of the reasons that we should pay attention to him is because he wrote more of the Bible. Now listen to this list, right? Listen to this list of people. He wrote more of the Bible than Peter, James, Jude, Jonah, Amos, Micah, Joel, Malachi, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Haggai, and Obadiah. I'll bet you didn't know that, did you? You know why I bet you didn't know that? Because I didn't know that, (laughs) right? I went, what? And when I went back and looked at the amount, you know, I've read through the Bible for 40 years, and I went, oh my God, I had never realized that. So he's pretty significant in terms of who's contributed, you know, to the Bible, the second reason is he was King David and King Solomon's choir director. So think about having that role for a second, right? Uh, I mean that I think there's any pressure to that, that one? Um, so here's the setting for who, who was Asaph. So Asaph was he was a young priest from the tribe of Levi. So remember there were 12 tribes. Levi was the priestly tribe, they had no inheritance within the nation. They were set in different cities around and they were to be the priest for the entire nation. His father's name was Barakiah. Isn't that a cool name? Almost like Barracuda, Barakiah, right? And he was uh, the doorkeeper of the ark. So he in, in and of himself was a really significant guy and uh, he guarded the tent and the door to the tent for the, that David had pitched for the ark. So uh, Asaph uh, grew up. Under that kind of authority and that kind of leadership, his brother's name was Zechariah, uh, and Zechariah assisted Asaph and his father in those duties, and uh, we'll take a look at him as well. Uh, but apparently, Asaph was very musically talented, like Danilo, just picked stuff up and he could play it right. And um, and so David made him a choir, his choir director, and as you know, David wrote many of the psalms. It was Asaph who put the music to them, all right? So that's kind of how that worked. Uh, So you have Asaph, Haman, Jaduthan, who wrote much of the music that were played for the services that were held in Jerusalem, all right? So when we continue with Asaph, he was probably a young man. He was probably in his early 20s, so 22, 23, 21, somewhere in there, uh, when David first uh, grabbed him to be the choir director. And he served in that role for over 40 years, So that's a long run as a choir director. He served under both King David and King Solomon. And he was in Jerusalem when God gave David the promise that he would have a son who would be the Messiah and reign forever. And so Thompson uh, paints this picture for us. It says this. He says, Asaph heard David tell the people and the elders of Israel that his son Solomon was God's answer to God's promise of a son would build God's temple and establish a kingdom that would last forever he saw Asaph saw the death of David the ascension of Solomon and the building of the temple so stop and freeze that for just a minute think about if you were there and you saw the temple built and you you were you were in the millennium right this is the apex this is phenomenal God is going to usher in his kingdom and uh, Asaph had to be on the mountaintop. He was the choir leader, right? He was the music director. Well, I bet you he cranked up a couple tunes for that, and they were singing it out over the city, and I think it was probably a very impressive thing. And here's where we we would connect with Asaph's life. Thompson writes, after Solomon's dedication of the temple, Asaph saw Israel's, what he would call the golden age, right? The high point, uh, Turned into something quite different apart from what he expected. His expectations took quite a hit. What happens to you when you have been bitterly disappointed? You ever had any experiences that have bitterly disappointed you in life? How do you respond? What happens when the leaders above you fail you and wound you? Asaph here is wrestling with some deep stuff. What, What happened? Uh, Solomon goes sideways. Thompson notes that after a very promising beginning, <coughs> excuse me, Solomon turned his back on God and pursued power, wealth, and luxury, and human wisdom. Of course, we know how that I, story goes. Many of us probably don't know, but uh, I have some friends who are uh, Jewish rabbis, and to them, Solomon is actually an Antichrist figure uh, in how he turned and did some of this stuff. Solomon, because of his love for foreign wives, worships other gods. Uh, To finance these pursuits, the people are oppressed and enslaved and overtaxed. And Asaph saw Solomon become a wicked man and thus entrusted his administration to other wicked men. We don't think about what happens when someone turns, right? We think of Solomon, yeah, he loved other wives and yeah, he kind of blew it. But we don't think about the impact of that and how that carries across. Thompson says there's good reason to believe that it was Solomon's wicked agents who killed Zechariah, Asaph's brother, in the temple. Neither Asaph nor Zechariah would keep silent about Solomon's wickedness. And for that, Zechariah, Asaph's brother, paid the ultimate price. And because of that, Asaph himself was on the hot seat. And this is the historical contents now. If you go to the New Testament, uh, pulling out one of the quotes that Jesus made, it'll make sense now. Uh, Jesus is commenting on Asaph's brother Zechariah's death and alluding to his own when he says in Matthew chapter 23, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. That's the historical uh, that Jesus is quoting. This is Asaph's brother. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So Jesus is using this uh, to identify Zechariah. And the question would be, if you were Asaph, how would you feel if you saw... Solomon, who's supposed to be the king and the Lord's representative, murder your brother. And you had to serve in that system. You had to serve in that. Feel the impact of that? So Asaph knew what it was to endure the day of trouble, but it doesn't stop there. Thompson indicates that Asaph lived to be about 100 years old. So he went well into old age, which means he not only served and lived during the reigns of David and Solomon, but he also was alive during the reign of Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And if you know the story about Rehoboam, he tried to act even bigger than his dad did, and God brought judgment uh, on Israel. And so now what happens is it goes from personal catastrophe to national catastrophe. Because of Rehoboam's pride, God brought judgment. (coughs) Thus, Asaph in his old age also saw, he saw the kingdom divided and split in two, right? Uh, Within five years, Shishak, Pharaoh of Egypt, invades and sacks Jerusalem and the temple. All the temple treasures are carried off uh, to Egypt. Many of Asaph's family were killed. They, They served as priests in the temple and thousands were slaughtered and left to rot in the streets. It is literally hard to imagine the impact on a man like Asaph who watched the kingdom rise to such heights and then crash to such depths. Does that anybody recognize that sound like America to you right now? All within one's lifetime. Thompson goes on to say this about Asaph. If there was ever a man who had an excuse for being disillusioned, disillusioned, Asaph was that man. David, his hero, who had been used mightily by God in his earlier years, had in his last years deceived himself and his people about Solomon being the Messiah. Solomon, the most blessed of God, turns and not only worships other gods and becomes apostate, but then he proceeds to kill Asaph's brother Zechariah when he was rebuked by him and for all all of his family's faithful service to and for the truth, there was nothing left. In the winter of his years, Asaph surveyed the wreckage of his hopes. The kingdom was destroyed. The temple lay in ruins. Many of his own family had been killed. And Solomon, as the Messiah, had been exposed as an utter fraud. You would expect Asaph to be a bitter and deeply disillusioned man. But here's where Asaph stands out as a beacon for Christian faith. Thompson continues, Yet through it all, Asaph finds God's faithfulness a a strong tower of hope. God reveals to Asaph the ultimate truth of what he had promised. There would be a true Solomon that would come, the Lord Jesus. And what is fascinating is that Asaph (coughs) wrote most of his psalms In his old age. In other words, he didn't write them when he was young and then later in his old age regret that he had written them. He actually wrote these in the midst of all this fallout. So it's worth us paying attention to him. If you look at the Psalms that he wrote, Psalm 73 that we looked at last week, reflects Asaph's bitterness at the murder of his brother. When he was talking about the wicked and how they get away with things, he was talking about Solomon. With that in mind, by the way, this week, just go back and reread 73 again, and it'll pop a whole new picture for you. Uh, Psalms 75 and 82 reflect Asaph's disillusionment with Solomon. Psalms 76 and 80 reflect Asaph's pain during the, the kingdom being divided and torn apart. Psalms 74 and 79 reflect Asaph's distress at the invasion of Egypt. So now that we know who the man is, let's look at two of these psalms that he wrote and see what they teach us about the day of trouble. So Psalm 77, if you're there, follow along with me. It starts like this. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. I'm, when I meditate, my spirit faints. And then there's that word "sela," which means what? Stop, pause, consider, think about this. Let's call this first section the impact of the moment. When the dray of trouble hits, it usually hits in one of two ways or fashions. The first way it'll hit is suddenly, right? It hits suddenly without warning, kind of a kaboom sort of thing. Uh, it's a thunderclap. The event or moment reverberates throughout the entire fabric of the world, and we just say everything blew up. Pearl Harbor would be an example of that kind of event, right? World War II. The second way that it happens is it moves in like a fog and then won't go away. COVID-19 would be a great example of this. We're in the midst of that right now. Remember when that all started? Kind of, hey, what, hot, Whoa, right? Whole deal. Uh, It just moved in and changed everything, and it still hasn't left us. Right? So we're still trying to figure this thing out. And this wise old man of God, Asaph, has something very powerful to teach us about this kind of moment. Why? Because he's experiencing the day of trouble personally. Now, we don't know which one of the crises of his life is the one he's talking about here in Psalm 77. Uh, there's plenty of them to pick from. But what's the very first thing he says? I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I will seek the Lord. And often when we're reading the Psalms, we can just roll right by that, right? And, oh, yeah, these are very good religious words to put down. And and he's just writing religious stuff that religious people should say. And we don't think about this comes out of a gut-wrenching experience that he himself is experiencing. And he's penning this thing before God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right here, right now. Notice it says what? In the day of my trouble. Capitalize that word right there, my. This is his day. Is this when his brother was murdered by Solomon? Is this when the kingdom crashed or Shisha came? We don't know. But this was his personal day of trouble. And when it hits, what's his advice? Lean in towards the Lord, not away from him. What does he say? I will seek the Lord. In spite of everything going around, in spite of the pressures, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to lean towards God, not away from, I don't like what's happening. This is a disaster. My world's crawling and crashing apart. But in the midst of that, I will seek the Lord. I'm going to lean in. This is not a platitude. This is not easy believism. It has walloped him. Okay, he's shell shocked. This has powdered him, and yet his attitude and heart is: I have nowhere else to turn. I'm going to turn back to Yahweh. Look at the the expression. He says, "My soul." Look at the pain. My soul refuses to be comforted. I moan. You ever moaned? Right? Been in the kind of pain I have: kidney stones. Right? I laid on the floor and moaned. Couldn't even get up. He said. Uh, when I think about what's happened, I almost faint. I mean, i literally just about passed out. Okay? Means to ponder. Selah means to ponder. Stop for a minute. Give some extra thought. Uh, when I was reading this, I, I couldn't help but think about my, my brother, Greg. I was reading Psalm 77. They, they would identify with moaning, and they would identify with almost fainting. Uh, they have barely made it. And, uh, and I, I texted him. Uh, He hasn't been able to talk on the phone. So I just texted him. Didn't even tell him what I was thinking about. I just said, hey, thinking of you. Right? And uh, I I was literally um, shocked, astonished. He called me. I was like, wow, he he can't talk on the phone. What's he doing? And uh, because he's found it just so difficult to even just carry on a conversation without breaking down and breaking into tears and sobbing to where he can't talk. Uh, And he said, uh, he said, hey, I I had to call you. He said, uh, I said, how are you calling? He said, well, he said, this experience has been like somebody has tethered this huge immovable boulder uh, to him and that he couldn't even budget an inch. And as he was trying to pull it, he said in the effort to pull it, he was absolutely exhausted with no strength left in him. And as he stretched, he laid tight against the rope, and he was just laying down in the dirt and the mud, sobbing there because he didn't know what to do, and he he couldn't lift it. And uh, and he says, but then um, close friends and family quietly came alongside and lifted the yoke. And he said, when they lifted the yoke, they didn't just lift the yoke, they lifted me as well. And he said, I I could feel it. I could sense that people have been praying uh, for us. <clears throat> and he said that uh, prayers of many people began to pull the load and and he and his wife and his pull his family along and he said and then he said this I don't know if you can use this or not but it might be an encouragement for somebody and I said and then he said and I just felt nudged by the Holy Spirit to call you and tell you that right and I'm sitting there going dude do you have, like how did you know right um, I said, I told him, I said, wow, man, you will not believe this. I said, I'm preaching on Psalm 77 this Sunday, and that fits absolutely perfectly. He says, Psalm 77, what's that? He says, I've, I've been in Psalm 32 for the last couple of days. Where's 77? So I said, well, hey, look it up and read it. So he did, and he goes, wow, that's me. Asaph pegged it, right? That's the kind of pain we're talking about. That's what I'm doing, my brother said. I'm leaning in, but it sure isn't easy. Asaph captures the depth of this kind of grief. Look further in the psalm. It says, you hold my eyelids open. Uh, That means you can't sleep. Sleep has fled from you, right? I'm so troubled, I cannot speak. That would have been my brother. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, and I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. When we stop here, what were the years long ago? Right? Remember, he's 90 to 100 years old here. Okay? What were the years long ago? Well, those years long ago was when he was a young man in his 20s serving King David, and he was writing music for David's songs. And what's the request? Let me remember my song. Let me go back to that when I was writing out of the joy of my heart and let me remember that song. Oh, that's powerful. Then uh, come to the toughest questions because when you encounter the day of trouble, it seems like it's forever, right? Any of you ever been in one? Like this is never gonna end. I'm never gonna get out. This is life as I know it. You ever been there? That's when the tough questions come. Uh, The heavens are bronze. It seems like God has disappeared. And Asaph says this, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Have you ever felt that way? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? He's done with all the good ones. Now all the bad stuff's going to happen. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And there's that word sail again. Stop, think about that. Think about what you know about God. Think about what you learned about him. Uh, As Asaph would say, remember what you knew about him in the young days with the song. But can you feel the depth of grief here? Can you feel that coming from him, writing out of his pen? Can you relate to that kind of despair? Can you sense the disorientation he's experiencing? Like, wow, what happened? Why, God, why? Then he says this, I will appeal to this to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Uh, The Expositor's Bible Commentary says this, the remembrance of age-old acts of God is the basis for present faith. It says when something blows up like that, and when something just goes kaboom in your whole world, what you do is you go back remember the footprints of God in life. Isn't it amazing if you think about your lives, if I said to you right now, um, how does it look? And most of us would say pretty muddy. We know God's in it, but it's pretty muddy. Can't really see too many fingerprints or footprints. Not really sure what the next steps are. Um, you know, kind of a mess. But if I said to you, can you look back 20 years? Now, some of us can't. Okay, so 10 years or five. Can you look back in your lifetime, and can you see God's faithfulness and fingerprints over your life? Wow, yes I can, right? Crystal clear, he did this, he did this, that happened, this happened, boom, boom, I wonder what would have happened, oh my goodness, boom, boom, you can see it, right? And that's what Asaph is saying, you go back over the trail of faithfulness, remember how he's been faithful in the past, because it'll tell you he's faithful in the mud. And I think we need to know that, I think we, Christians, Followers of Jesus, I think we need to know that right now, okay? I, it, it may not get better, okay? I'm a bearer. I'm, a, I'm the most uh, optimistic pessimist you've ever met in your life, okay? It may not get better. I don't know what's going to happen as we go into this fall. We'll have to see. But we may be facing that day of trouble. The reflection of his acts in the past give comfort to those who need him in the present. This title, God Most High, by the way, that Asaph used, uh, references us back to another famous figure in the Bible, and that would be Abraham, who was the first person to use that title, the God Most High. And if you want to spend some time looking up that name and that title, it's pretty cool. But then he says this, I will remember, and starting in verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. And with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. And again, he says, ponder. In other words, here's the point. The present catastrophe That he was going through probably this had to do with um the stuff we talked about does not disqualify the miraculous past let me say that again the present catastrophe does not disqualify the miraculous past and he goes on to remember if you look at the psalm the parting of the red sea for israel the parting of the red sea was the greatest thing that had ever happened there had never been anything like it in the history of the world There really has never been anything like it uh, since, right? And they always went back to, if you want to look at the ultimate picture of God's power, look at the parting of the Red Sea. And that's what Asaph goes back to. These miracles and the memory of them will sustain him in the day of trouble. By the way, it's a good reason why we should read through the Bible so that we know what it says in the day of trouble. We know where to turn and where to find it. Because, well, it's somewhere in the Bible, isn't going to work under pressure. Right? You got to know where to go when it hits, and you got to know where to turn that it's there. <clears throat> but here's the point for Asap it wasn't just this personal day of trouble that hit, there was piled on top of it a national day of trouble that was even worse. That's found in Psalm 79. So turn to Psalm 79. And this is when Shishak, Pharaoh of Egypt, comes and he devastates Jerusalem and the temple. Again, listen to the distress in these words. Reading from Psalm 79. Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, and the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. Many of those were Asaph's family. He said, bodies are just strewn everywhere. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. Dead bodies left ever left to rot in the sun and eaten by animals. And the question is, well, why weren't they buried? Because there wasn't anybody left to bury them, right? There was a remnant left. Somehow Asaph lived through this. We don't know the uh, details behind that story. But the enemies of Israel mocked and they howled and they gloated over the victory. Nobody ever thought you could go and defeat Jerusalem or enter the temple and and tear it down. And so... They were wild with ecstasy that they'd been able to do that. And you can feel Asaph's pain. Look at verse 5. How long, O Lord? You ever ask God that question? How long? How long, Lord? How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Asaph knew the nation had sins. He served under Solomon. He He knew why it had crashed. Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Have you ever asked that question that's in this section right here, particularly when you're in a season of struggle or trouble, how long? How long requires great perseverance and endurance. We've got to learn to be persevering in steadfast love, just as God is persevering in his steadfast love. The Bible doesn't say that everything that will happen to us is good. Romans says that everything that happens to us, God will turn to good. But there's a season. And the question is, how long will that take? We don't know the answer to that. I'm going to ask you to read the rest of Psalm 79. I think you've got the trail and you can follow the footprints and uh, Asaph's comments on this. Um, But I'm going to ask us to prepare for communion. So if you want to grab the elements on your seat, if you're at home, if you would uh, go and grab your elements and be ready to share with us in communion, we'd like to ask that you do that right now. And while you're doing that, let's remind ourselves of an example that is greater than Asaph. Jesus is the greatest example of learning, of leaning into God on the day of trouble. He sets an incredible example for us. He gives us lots of encouragement in this direction. And Jesus says, he will always be with us. And we need to remind ourselves that even if a day of trouble were to come upon America, Jesus would be with us. In Hebrews thirteen five, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Matthew 28, he says, And behold, I am with you always, How far? To the end of the age. In other words, he's in not just the good things, he's also in the bad things as well. And John 16 says these Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And we would say, sure doesn't look like it. Oh no, we would never say that. Yes, we would. We've come to communion. I found another psalm, Psalm 46, that really uh, instructs us well when we find ourselves in the day of trouble. It says this, Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's that word Selah again. What it's saying is God is our shelter in the day of trouble. Uh, Asaph literally saw uh, the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of sea. He saw the whole kingdom just dismantle. Okay? There have been many epics like that in the history of the world as well. Um, His earthly leaders had catastrophically failed him. The kingdom was reduced to a rubble instead of ushering in the kingdom of God. And yet, Asaph did not give up on his faith in Yahweh. And we're told the same encouragements in the New Testament uh, that when we see Jesus enduring his day of trouble, right? where do we see Jesus going? We see him going into the garden and what? seeking his Father. And Father, if there's a way, uh, I've been surveying this, I'm pretty close to it now, it was a long way, way before I'm looking right at it, it's in, it's in the vision field, and uh, this ain't looking as good as it looked before. You know, if there's a way you could remove this, that'd be great. But, not as I will, but as you will. On the cross, what did he model for us? Trusting submission to his Father, In the day of trouble. Exactly what Asaph is modeling to us. Trusting submission to Yahweh, who is Father, in the day of trouble. Where are we in the history of the world and the kingdom of God? The truthful answer is we really don't know. But we do know that we are living in troubling times. And they could get worse. A lot worse. Asaph leaned in. Jesus leaned in. Let us be a people who, in the day of the Lord, or the the day of trouble, also lean in. Ask you to take the elements out. See, Danilo, I'm learning new skills every Sunday. As we think about that story, I was really impacted by the story of Asap. I had known who he was. I'd never known those connections. And I went, man, he trusted. That's what Jesus was symbolizing for us. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. This is going to be for your benefit. If you look around that room, there are 11 guys there. Ten of them would die a martyr's death. All of them would die a martyr's death except John. Right? They would know a day of trouble, a little bit farther down the road, for standing with Jesus. We may know a day of trouble for standing with Jesus as well. And when that comes, this picture is a really vital picture to remember. Right? What does the bread symbolize? My body will be sacrificed for you. It's going to be brutalized. It's going to be beaten. It's going to be broken for you. He said, eat this in memory of me. And then the cup is a symbol of the blood that Jesus shed. Asaph himself saw a lot of bloodshed. He saw his brother's blood shed between the altar and the sanctuary. He knew what it was like to have a day of trouble. Jesus says, remember, this is shed for the remission of your sins. Nobody can take this away from you. Lean into me on the day of trouble. He said, drink this in memory of me. you get a chance, I'd encourage you to um, look through Psalm 73 again, and then 77 and 79 and, and spend some time there uh, rehearsing your response to a day of trouble and how you would respond. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and uh, let's close out the service. If you would, if you'd rise and stand. Thank <laughs> fill in awesome we're going to need a favor if you would help us as a team this morning so while we were in here the cleaning teams went through and cleaned everything in the lobby and did all the sanitizing things so what we'd like to ask is we have this door right here and then the door out the double doors out the back if you would exit the auditorium that way that's weird that's not our habit but if you would help us with protocol so we can stay above reproach we'd really appreciate it So, Dave, if you can turn the lights on, and let's pray, and then we'll go. Father, thank you for this morning. We pray for Esther. Help her get well for her vacation, and what a bummer. Lord, thanks for the team pitching in. Thanks for this word on Asa. Help us to lean in towards you on a day of trouble, Lord. Help us plan that way, think that way, steal ourselves that way. Help us to be that kind of people. And we give that to you in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Okay, thank you. You're dismissed.